teaching, we're going to ask Eddie Park to come up and bring the Word of God to us this morning. Eddie? All right. Good morning, Evie Free. Man, wasn't that amazing? The choir just filled this room up. My name is Eddie Park. I'm one of the teaching pastors on staff. And if you've been with us for this summer or the past several weeks, we've been talking about generosity. We believe that generosity has so much to do with Jesus and who Jesus is. And so we've been talking about generosity. And, and so if myself and, uh, and Austin Helm will close up our series this week and next week. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot growing up. My family didn't have a lot growing up. My mom was a single parent. She was an immigrant. And she couldn't speak English well. And it was hard. It was hard. But one of the great things that my, my mom taught me and modeled for me is that you don't need much to be generous. She really taught me that. You know, uh, one, this is a silly, silly story, but I remember when she let me, let me buy or pick out my first pair of shoes. I was in sixth grade. Do you remember the first pair of shoes that you, you got to pick instead of like, you know, your parents like bought you whatever they bought at like Walmart or something? <laughs> I, I remember picking my very first pair of shoes. Do you remember, you know, for some of you, it might be like red slippers with glitter, a glittery bow, maybe brown cowboy boots, or maybe it was those Air Jordans or those first pair of Nikes that you got to pick. Well, for me, I, I got to pick in the sixth grade, it was, it was, it was these white high-top Vans. I grew up in, in north, or, uh, north, not Orange County, North San Diego, and all my... All my friends, they, they were all skater boys, and they, they all wore skate shoes, and I always wore, like, these, like, Doc Martens or something. I don't know what I was wearing. But she let me pick out these, these, these white high-top vans. And there, I just remember there was, like, this trim of royal blue around them. They're beautiful. And so she, she took me to, to the shoe store, and I was so excited that I could, I could pick out and buy these shoes. And I even remember how much... These shoes exactly cost. They cost $59 back then. That's, a, that's kind of a lot. It's kind of a lot. And I remember my mom's face when she flipped over that price tag when she saw $59. <laughs> Eddie, you can get three pairs. Pay less for those. But she, but she knew how much I wanted those shoes. I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to stop wearing these, you know, ugly brown Doc Martens, you know. So she bought them for me, and I'll always remember that. And I, and I share that silly story because my mom was just, she didn't have much, but she was always so generous to me, generous to her siblings. She gave faithfully to the church. She would donate to charity. She was just so giving. She was so generous. But there, there were these moments. My mom's a saint. But there were these moments when, when it was very, very hard for her to be generous. It was when I, when I hurt her. When I hurt her feelings. Fast forward from sixth grade. I'm a senior in high school. I'm playing volleyball in high school. And I, and I need new volleyball shoes. Volleyball shoes are expensive. I think at the time they were like over 100 bucks. And on the day that I was going to ask my mom to buy me new pairs of shoes, she wasn't as generous. She didn't want to get them for me. And it's because I hurt her. This is what happened. On the day that I asked her, you know, I'm, I'm outside of my, my, uh, my house. On the driveway, I'm washing my car. I had a black Volkswagen Golf. I love this car. I would never buy it again. It was a terrible car. 
I'm washing my black Volkswagen, you know, my golf, and, and I'm just like, you know, waxing it, buffing it. I love this car. And then my mom pulls out behind me, and she drives into the driveway. Well, this is the strange thing that she did. You know, normally when you drive into a garage, normally the person looks forward into the garage where they're parking. That didn't happen this day. My mom, she saw me waxing or washing my car, and she just did the... Not even looking into the driveway, she parked her car. And I was like, that was strange. What was that all about? And then she got out of her car. And normally, my mom and I are close. She'd always say, hi, son. I'd be like, hi, mom. We love each other. Right? And, but she didn't. She just went straight inside. And again, I was like, hmm. That's odd. And so I go inside, and I, and I ask my mom, hey, mom, um, I need new volleyball shoes. You're selfish. Whoa, what's, go- whoa, what's going on? Oh, my gosh. And, I, and that, that little sixth-grade kid that got those, those you know, high-top bear vans was just like in utter, utter shock and fear. She's like, you never wash my car. I was like, do you want me to wash your car? Do you never ask me to wash your car? And it was like this whole ordeal. And I could just see my mom. She didn't want to give me new pairs of shoes, even though I really needed it. She said, go get a job. I was like, you don't let me get a job. I have to study for my SATs. <laughs> every second, every minute of my life, I have to either practice violin or study for my SATs. I can't get a job. Right? You don't let me. So it's just like this huge argument. It, just, it didn't have to be this dramatic. But I just, I just saw this woman who is a saint, who has been the most generous person I've ever seen, struggle with being generous. Because I hurt her. I hurt her feelings. There's a lot of things I did that week or did not do for her that week that really hurt her feelings. And, it, and it's fascinating that... I, I don't think the, the problem is people wanting to give or people wanting to be generous. It's, the greatest problem I see is people giving or being generous when they've been hurt, when they've had pain. You know, my wife, she's in fundraising, and she's just, she tells me about there's so many people that just are so generous. They give millions of dollars. They give their, their trusts, their, will, like they, their wills. They, they just give so much. But then there are people that all of a sudden stop giving and stop being generous because they've been hurt. They've been, they were hurt by an email that they got. They they weren't treated well on the phone with someone. Even even messier, when we look at divorce, we look at two people, two young people who are in love, who are are overwhelmingly generous to to one another, right? We we, we have a guy who loves this girl, who wants to give the world to this girl. He even even saves up three months of his salary to buy this thing that's, that's not even worth anything really. He's so generous. But then when we see in divorce or separation, when these two people have caused so much pain and hurt to one another, all of a sudden, generosity goes out the window. It becomes a legal match. Instead of giving, it becomes about 
taking what is mine. It becomes contractual. I've seen it in people who are Christian and non-Christian. There's something about when we get hurt, when we're in pain, it's very, very difficult to be generous. So again, the problem is not, not giving. I think people want to give. People want to be generous. The problem that I see, the greatest hindrance, the greatest thing that prevents our generosity is when we're hurt. So how do we, how do we stay generous as people? How do we continue to give when we're hurt, when we experience pain? Well, we're going to be looking at a situation in the New Testament where generosity is talked about in the context of a relationship that's very painful and has had a lot of hurt. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians today. 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phone apps, you're going to switch over from your Pokemon Go app to our EV Free app or your Version Bible app. Or, actually, good news, you don't have to log out of your Pokemon Go app. You can actually just look on the screen because we're going to have it up here. I see a lot of faces of relief, actually. Just don't be flicking those Pokemon balls at my head, okay, during this time. All right, a couple things that are so important uh, to understand this letter, 2 Corinthians. It's very, very, it's very complicated. Um, you have to understand that 2 Corinthians... It, it, it's, it's a very painful letter. There, in the context of 2 Corinthians, there's, a lot, there's been a lot of hurt. There's been a lot of pain between Paul and the church of Corinth. You know, in your New Testament, you only see two letters to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But what we don't really realize is that there's actually been at least four letters. In 1 Corinthians, there's a, there's a letter that's being ref- referenced or mentioned as a warning letter before 1 Corinthians. So it's strange because actually 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. I'm going to confuse you for the next 30 seconds. So there's, there's a warning letter, 1 Corinthians, that's actually 2 Corinthians. And then, to confuse you, you a little bit more, between 2 Corinthians, or, or sorry, 1 Corinthians and the book that we know as 2 Corinthians, there was another letter. In 2 Corinthians, there's a letter that says, it's called the letter of tears, the painful letter that's been lost in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. There's been four letters of dialogue between Paul and the church in Corinth. Actually, Corinth is the only church that Paul had planted where he had to visit twice. And they wanted him to come a third time, but he said, he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, for I made up my mind that I will not make another painful visit to you. So what we know in this letter is that there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain between Paul and this church. But what's important is that in 2 Corinthians, thank the Lord, this relationship is in healing. They're being restored they're still in dialogue. They're still in conversation with one another. And Paul even says this to the Corinthians. He says, chapter 7, verse 8, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that letter I sent you, that severe letter. Or he says, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you for a little while. 
So you see that Paul is, is sympathetic to the Corinthian church. He's, he's empathetic. And he says, I was, I was harsh to you in that letter because, because you just needed to know. In the Corinthian church, they were coming around to Paul, finally. So they're, they're, this context of this letter is that they're in healing, this relationship. There's been pain and that there's been healing. But in the context of this pain and healing, there was a promise. There was a promise that was made by the Corinthian church, a promise to be generous, a promise of generosity. He says this in chapter 9, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Now, this is very awkward because there's been this history of pain, hurt in this relationship. They're in healing, but they're not exactly on the other side of this conversation. But the situation is there's a matter of this generous gift that the Corinthians had promised to give. And Paul is navigating through how to ask for that gift, how to, how to motivate them, but not in a way to make them feel guilty, not in, a, not in a way to say, hey, remember that thing that you were supposed to give? Even though that this relationship was painful and there was a lot of hurt and there was four letters being written to them, Paul loved the church of Corinth. He loved them. He didn't want to give up on their maturity and their growth. And what was, what's so important for, for a person's growth and maturity is this aspect of generosity. So it was so important for Paul to talk about generosity to the point where it took up two chapters of this entire letter. Chapter 8 and chapter 9. If you go back to chapter 8, he says, Since you excel in so many ways, Corinth, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. It's so, so important that we don't give up on this. This gift was to, to, to take care of the needs of the poor in Jerusalem, the ones that were suffering, the ones that were being persecuted. And it's funny because in the letter we see that, that Paul commends the church in Corinth because a year ago, the church in Corinth were the first to say they're going to give. We're, we're going to give. They were so eager to give because they were so compelled by the gospel that Paul preached which was Jesus Christ, yet he was rich, he became poor, so that we who are poor could become rich. They are so compelled by that, that they, that they gave and promised to give. Well, that was a year ago, and a lot happened in that year. A lot of hurt, a lot of conversation, and they're in healing. So how does, how does Paul motivate them? in a way to remember to be generous without guilting them, without coercing them, without making them feel like it's a requirement. Well, this is what Paul says. If you go to chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 6. He says, remember this. A farmer who plants a few seeds will get a small crop, right? 
but one who plants generously will get a generous crop. It's the, it's the law of reaping and sowing, kind of a, a, a well-known principle that's known across the ancient world. And he tells them, verse 7, you must, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or, or feel like this is a response and pressure because God, God wants you to feel joy. He, wants, he, he loves a person who gives cheerfully. So he's making, making sure they don't, this is not an ask, this is not a command, this is not a request out of guilt. So what is it then? He goes on and says, verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. And you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. That money is God's money that is given to you. And then bread to eat. In the same way, he, pro- he will provide and increase your resources. And then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. What is that? What is that generous crop? What is that generous harvest that Paul is talking about? Well, he says this in verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. How can Paul confidently say that? That you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. He tells them, because you know why? When we take your generous gift, when we take your giving, we take it to those who need them. Quite simply, they will thank God. Paul tells them about the impact of their generosity. The impact of their generosity, their giving, is that lives are being changed. He says, verse 12, so two good things will result from your ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. People who are in need desperately, their basic necessities are going to be met because of your generosity. And not only that, they will joyfully, joyfully express They're thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. People who are vulnerable, who are needy, will give thanks and glory to God. They will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God is given to you. How does Paul motivate this church? Not in a way to guilt them, not in a way to make them feel like they have to or they're obligated, but it reminds them of the impact of their generosity changes lives. The impact of their giving People's needs are being met. They give thanks to God and give glory to God. And they know it is because of the grace that God gave them. 
In other words, how do we continue to give? How do we stay generous when we're hurt? Well, it's when we see, it's when we realize that the impact of our generosity far outweighs our personal pain. Lives are being changed. Needs are being met. You know, I I started my first ministry role as a college pastor in in L.A. And um, one of my core group leaders, for anonymity's sake, I'm going to call him Mr. Chang. Mr. Chang was 60 years old, and he was incredibly generous. He was a small business owner. He was was a 60-year-old with, like, the, the, the body of a 20-year-old. He was a runner. He was lean. He wore a bow tie and these Harry Potter glasses. And he had such an incredible heart for people that are on the fringe. Most of our college group was filled with, you know, Korean kids from UCLA and USC. But there are these people that didn't go to those schools. There are people that didn't even go to school. There are people that were gangsters or, or just from rough parts of the neighborhood. And he had an incredible heart for them. But one of the hardest decisions that we had to make as a staff is that we had to ask him to leave and step down from college group. And the reason is because he was just a loose cannon. He was, a, he was someone that never followed the rules. Do you know someone that just never follows the rules? You just love their heart, but they're just never following anything. And it was to the point where it was causing us, he was saying things that he shouldn't have been saying. He was doing things that he shouldn't have been doing. And it was just causing all this headache for me as a pastor and other pastors. And so we had to make the decision, hey, we're so sorry. We have to ask you to leave. And it crushed him. It crushed him. He was so hurt by it. And it wasn't the first time that this happened, actually. Well, the problem is, we had two major events in our college ministry, in our college group. One was a Yosemite camping trip to hike Half Dome and a winter snowboarding trip to Mammoth. And this was a, this was a crucial, crucial ministry that we had because it was at this ministry that people that were on the fringe, people that were unbelieving or uncomfortable with coming to church or rough around the edges, it, it was these events that, that helped them feel comfortable and, 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 and participate in the life of the church. And so they were crucial. But the problem was it was sponsored and fully funded by Mr. Chang. And one of the risks that we knew was if we, when we asked him to leave, he'd be so hurt that we'd have to cancel this, this ministry and figure something out. And there was no way we could fundraise these two events because he paid for everything as a small business owner. He was so generous. Well, I'll tell you, till this day, he still funds those events. He still gives to this ministry. And when I, when I would visit him at his work, I'd be like, Mr. Chang, why? We basically kicked you out. Why, why do you still do that? And with his Harry Potter glasses, he just looks at me. Eddie, it's not about me. It's about them. Those guys 
who need God. It's those guys who need love. It's those guys who need acceptance. It's those guys, and I know how much it means to them. And I know how much they, they, they give thanks to God because of that. He got over his hurt because he could see the impact of his generosity changed lives. It changed people's lives. It made people who are on the outside, the friends, to give thanks to God. He would give, give some of those guys jobs at his company. He would help them get other jobs if they needed to. I want to take an opportunity right now to thank you, EV Free, for your generosity. Your generosity, the impact of your generosity has changed so many lives this year. In recent weeks, we had VBS last week, a thousand kids in our campus, a thousand kids. And one of the things that we did during VBS is that we, we asked them to raise funds, about $2,000, to make care packages for infants who are refugees from Syria. And if you know the story, a couple of the girls, they, they made a lemonade stand. And they were giving lemonade on the corner of their neighborhood. And people were grabbing it and drinking it. What is this for? And they're like, oh, we're helping babies from Syria. Refugees. We're going to make these baby kids and we're going to save their lives. At the end of the weekend, we raised $6,700, those children. And not only that, give or take, 147 of those kids said yes to Jesus. Lives are being changed because of your generosity. You know, I got, I got so emotional when Amy was sharing about Royal Family Kids Camp. Can we imagine the impact? Can we imagine what it means for someone who has gone through abuse their entire life? Can we imagine the impact of someone that has been in the foster care system to actually say, I have a home. Lives are being changed. Last year, we, we launched a nonprofit called OC United whose mission is to unleash compassion to the city of Fullerton in Orange County. We're partnering with them to, to help care for the city, for the homeless, for the most vulnerable. Church, I want to say thank you for your generosity because the impact, lives are being changed, needs are being met, People are giving thanks to God and glory to God. I pray that we stay generous even when we're hurt. I pray that we continue to give. Not just here, but anywhere. Just having that heart of generosity even in the midst of hurting. You be free. Thank you for your generosity. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for the gospel that Paul preached to the church in Corinth. Jesus Christ, who was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that we who are poor could become rich. We thank you for this example of a relationship that has gone through a lot, that has gone through a lot of strain and pain and hurt with Paul and the Corinthian church, and yet they partnered together to change the lives of all the believers in Jerusalem and people whose needs were met, who gave thanks to God and glory to God and were filled with joy from your grace. Father, I pray that in this room that we're able to realize the impact of our generosity. That it's not about us. That it's about so many lives being changed. Help us to be bold and courageous as we be generous people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. I love the reminder that sometimes we give out